Today's sales leaders face a difficult task, selling the right products at the right time through the right channels. A new three-day program from Harvard Business School Executive Education addresses this problem directly. Join us on the Boston campus in August for Managing Sales Teams and Distribution Channels, where you will discover strategies that can lead to the best sales performance. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me slash sales. That's hbs.me slash sales. When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. They would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't have been a damn thing I could have done about it. But this thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. You know, the look it was giving me. Welcome to Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, Sasquatch Chronicles. I'm your host, Wes, along with my brother, Woody, and researcher, author, and friend, William Jeffy. Let's start the show. Yeah, you know, after the last show, we actually had a lot of people contact us with encounters. I mean, I'm still going through emails and just the overall response. I mean, if I haven't responded back to you yet, out there, people out there listening, give me a little bit of time. I'll, I'll, I'll try and respond back, or will respond back, or Woody will respond. What, somebody will respond back. We promise you. It's just been a flood of of emails. So I know you can catch Will on his on his blog, Jevening Research at Blogspot.com. You can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, uh, or you can email us at Bigfoot Hotspot at gmail.com. If anybody has an encounter they'd like to talk to one of us about, you can always contact me directly at williamjevening at yahoo.com. That's okay to reach me there. Yeah, and Will's a good one to talk to. Definitely a good one to talk to. I felt a million times better after our encounter, after talking to you, Will, so I highly recommend uh, talking to Will if you, if you have, have had an encounter or an experience, and it's kind of nice to get it off your chest. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's one of those really... cases where I've had a number of people contact me over the years, you know, some very high-profile individuals, both financially and in their professions, you know, who didn't know where else to go to, and they contacted me and, and asked for their anonymity because of their positions. And I always guarantee that with people, you know, if you don't want your name, location, or anything out there in public, I absolutely guarantee your privacy. Yeah. No, we won't double-cross you. I know people have sent us pictures, uh, a lot of stuff that I was really shocked by seeing it, but, you know, if we don't have permission to post it, we won't post it. You know, we're not, we're not uh, to uh, double-cross anyone, so... Yeah, so what I thought we'd do is bring Steed on the show. He he contacted the show. He's had a few encounters, and he wanted to share some of his encounters. And one of them that kind of caught my attention, he had told me that he felt like he was being hunted uh, by these creatures. One time he was out hunting, and he just kind of felt like you know they were hunting him. Kind of caught my attention. I really wanted to hear his story, and, and I thought I'd bring him on the show and let him share his encounter with everyone. Steve, this is Will. Uh, Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi, Will. Let's start with uh, just a little bit about yourself first, if you don't mind. Well, myself, I'm 44. Uh, I spent most of my life out in the woods hunting and trapping. Grew up on a farm. Um, pretty much that's it. Uh, I was, especially in my early 20s, I was constantly trapping and hunting, coon hunting, predator hunting, deer, you name it. I, I was doing it. Pretty much got a good knowledge of my local area. 
I guess there's a guy in the BFRO in this general area that, that's already um, been investigating. I read that up on, uh, I don't know if you've heard of that uh, guy in Michigan that's getting uh, vocalizations from the BFRO. He's putting up uh, videos on YouTube, basically the general area. Okay. Um, I'm in the central part of Michigan. Um, I was just trying to get a sense for what part of the country you're in. Yeah, I'm in central part of the uh, lower peninsula of Michigan. Okay, so you grew up on a farm and you trapped and hunted. What kind of knowledge did you have about the subject of Bigfoot prior to these events occurring? Prior to this, my my uh, Bigfoot knowledge came off of uh, seeing the Patterson-Gimlin footage off of In Search Of and a few other places and uh, also uh, Legend of Boggy Creek. And quite frankly... I didn't even have any inkling that Bigfoot existed in this state. I guess fast-forwarding up to the time where this occurred, and it was, was it multiple occurrences, that's my understanding? Well, I had one sighting, but I've had a few things happen that, that I really do believe are Bigfoot-related now that I've had the time to look the subject over and look back at things. Go ahead and tell us um, you know, what you were doing prior to the event, and then... I guess just go in and tell us what happened. Okay, well, I had uh, gone and laid down in my bed to take a nap that day. I was late in, late in the evening, and I thought I'd just get a quick nap. And I had my bed pushed right up against the uh, outside wall so that the uh, breeze from the window would blow in. It was late summer. And I'd fallen asleep, ended up around 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I got woken up. I I smelled something. It was kind of like, uh, you know, if you have like a really stinky animal walk by you, how you can catch that whiff and notice it when you're sleeping. Right, right. It kind of just popped my eyes open, and I'm looking straight up, and outside it was a full moon. It was kind of overcast, but what I had seen was filling up almost the entire sky with my view looking up through the window. and uh, <laughs> It still gives me kind of goosebumps. Uh, it, uh, the first thought that went through my mind is, this has got to be the biggest man that ever lived. And what is he doing looking at me through my window? And he was probably about three feet from me. And the only thing between it and me was the screen. I was stunned trying to figure out what it was that I was seeing. It didn't make sense. I was kind of frozen in place. I couldn't really figure out what it was. Probably about 10, 15 seconds of that, he kind of leaned forward a little bit. As soon as he moved, my feet came out from underneath me, and I moved faster than I've ever moved in my life. I leaped out of the bed, and I headed out of the bedroom towards my parents' room where all the weapons were at, and I was about 16 at the time. As soon as I got to my bedroom door... This thing let out a roar that turned into a scream at the end. And I have, I've never heard nothing like it before or since. It just, you, you could feel your insides shaking from it. It, it was just like if you were at the zoo and a, a, you had a lion roar within a few feet of you. It just shook right through you. Right, right. And Did it wake anybody else in the house up? Yeah. <laughs> It probably, <laughs> my sister's room was next to mine. She had a great Dane sleeping with her, and they come ramming into me at my uh, mother's room about the time I hit that door, and my mother was already up and running. We had a, a dog chained to the porch out front because we'd had uh, problems with people messing around outside at night. At least we figured it was people, and... That dog was going off like crazy, just growling and snarling. And I reached into the drawer because the only gun that we kept loaded all the time was a 44 revolver. And I was going to run out the front door and let the dog loose. I guess I was just on autopilot, just reacting. My mother jumped between me and the door and said, don't go out there. And just then, that thing let out another roar just off the edge of the porch. It had gone around the house and was standing right about where I was going to come out. And it let that roar, and it turned right into a scream at the end. And this dog that was not afraid of anything just started whimpering and crying. I was just about ready to do the same myself at that point. 
uh, 44 didn't seem like it was big enough to do the job, and I just I just stood there watching the door, and uh, pretty much I didn't get any sleep. I can sympathize. Good Lord. Yeah, it was it was a long night. Our uh, we had like a two acre section of yard slash garden and, and orchard, and all four boundaries of our of our yard were surrounded by cornfield. The next day, I went out there looking for tracks, and in the grass, I didn't see anything, but it was pretty hard ground. And I knew that if I got out in the cornfield, if I just kept making bigger circles, sooner or later, I was bound to run into tracks. But I got within six feet of that corn, and I couldn't make myself go in. Did you? And I was just afraid I'd run into that. I, I, it probably was nowhere around by that time in you know, being realistic, but... The thought of running into that in tight confines, I just didn't want to take the chance. I was spooked the heck right out of me. Right, right. Hey, Steed, when it came up to the house and was looking at you at the window, did you get a chance to look at it, or was it more or less kind of an outline coming up to the house? And well, how big do you think it was? I've said before at least seven and a half feet, but, you know, the more I've thought about it and estimated compared to with the angle I was looking at it and where it measured on the house, this thing had to have been real close to eight foot. That was its height. The width of this thing was just massive. I mean, it, it, it had to have been at least three and a half feet wide in the shoulder area. It was just unbelievably big. It was nighttime, so you had a pretty, it was a moonlight, you had a pretty good view of it? or Yeah, it, uh, let me explain the, the view I had. It was, uh, the moon was probably about, three-quarters of the way up in the western part of the sky, kind of backlighting this thing, and I was looking directly at it with the moon overhead of it, and you, you could count the hairs. I, I couldn't see any facial or front features, but as far as the outline went, I, I could see the glistening on a couple of the hairs. The rest of it, it looked almost like it was absorbing light. I mean, it was just so black. I mean, I don't know if that was its real color, but it was just like there was no light there where it stood. It was just huge. You you could see every, you could tell the hair was probably two, three inches long over most of the body. The arms were just massive. This thing made Arnold Schwarzenegger look like, like a skinny little guy. And uh, the chest on this thing, it... It wasn't like some of these pictures I've seen where people draw them like bodybuilders. This thing was like, it was just like a barrel. It was just really, really thick. Very thick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I when I heard what you guys had seen, I, it kind of gave me a, a lot of shivering and shaking. <laughs> I couldn't imagine being in that situation. I didn't hear anything more of it. Um, I didn't see any more of it. The dog was dead quiet after that. He he wouldn't make a sound. I wasn't even sure if he'd made it through the night till I went out the next day. So, yeah, I, it, I think it probably left pretty quickly after that. And was that the only time something like that's ever come up to the house that you know of, I guess? Well, when we moved in that house, we, my grand, great-grandmother died, and we bought that from the family, moved in when I was six. Almost immediately, my, my little sister, she was about three at the time, and she used to come tearing into my room at night or my parents' room, and she was always saying that there was these things she called foo bears, and she said they were trying to get her. And everybody just thought, you know, this is just a little kid imagining, but, I mean, she was really terrified. Oh, about the time I turned nine, one night my parents woke me up, and they put me, my sister, and uh, our dog in their bedroom, and they handed my dad handed me a pistol and told me well, if anything came in that room that wasn't them to shoot. I didn't know what was going on, and they went outside and searched, and then they came back in after probably a half hour. They uh, kept us in their room for a while and let us go to bed in their room for the night. And later on, my mother told me that something had woke her up, and she had a horrible feeling of dread and ran in my sister's room. She thought there was some problem with her. And the next day, when they went out and looked, underneath my sister's bedroom window, the flower bed was just had these huge footprints in them. On the aluminum siding, I don't know if you've ever touched aluminum siding and seen how it leaves your oil from your hands. Right. Oh, yeah. 
they said that there were humongous handprints, like a really big man had been looking in her window. Jesus. So I, I've, I've always wondered if that wasn't related. You know, we had a few weird things happen on that farm over the years, and it didn't happen all at once. It just kind of like every summer you'd have a few oddball things happen. You know, we had uh, chickens, and of course you have chickens. Every predator in the county knows your residence because you're the local uh, supermarket. That's right. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we lost a few to about everything, but we had a there was a galvanized steel shed, and we had a, a latch on it that you had to turn and put a padlock through. And I always would go out and I would leave the padlock unlocked, but just through that hasp to hold it in place. One day my old man was just, he was tearing me a new one. I got up and the chickens were all over the yard and the turkeys were out too. And he said I'd forgot to close the chicken house up because we had a inner door and then a grain room and then the outer door. And I went out there, and it was all wide open, just like somebody would opened it all up and went in. And we had a few chickens missing, but, you know, you didn't know if that was just that they got away or if a neighbor dog got them or what. But I knew that I had locked that or closed it up good and latched everything. If I hadn't, I fed them in the mornings. They would have been out by that afternoon, and this was the next day. This happened several times until I got in the habit of locking that padlock, and then it didn't happen anymore. And I always wondered, whatever had opened that had to have fingers and thumb. Going back to your, with your sister, God, it reminds me of the cowman story, doesn't it, a little bit, you guys? It does, very, very. And you know, that's a common thread among this type of encounter. I read the cowman story. Oh, you read the cowman story? Yeah, I, was kind of, I heard you guys talk about it, and I read that to see what it was about. It kind of uh, sent chills up the spine. <laughs> it had that feeling about it. Let me ask you, Steve. I got I got two questions. One is, did you ever have you ever talked to your dad? Did you ever speak to your dad about things that had happened? You know, after you after you had kind of grown up, did you ever go back and talk to your mom or your dad? I know you talked to your mom a little bit, but did you ever talk to your dad about things that were going on? Well, dad my dad, up? not really. Be, he. He's not the kind of person that that would uh, deal with that really well. My mother, I, I've talked to her about it off and on, and she remembers hearing it all right. And she remembers pulling my sister out of the bedroom and putting us in her room at night. And uh, whatever it was, both times had her shaken up, but she never saw anything, but she sure remembers hearing that, that roar. Yeah, when your dad goes, hey, here's a gun, son. If anything walks through that door, blast it if it's not us. You know there's trouble. Yeah, and he made sure to tell us to ask if it was him first. <laughs> yeah, so he, he knew a lot more than he said. Yeah, I, I think he had some suspicions about what it could be. But like I said, off and on over the years, it was like we thought we had somebody messing around out there at night. Weird things would happen, and we just always chalked it up to a prowler until that point when I had that sighting, and then I started wondering what was going on. kind of turns your view of reality upside down a bit. It definitely changes, that's for sure. Because, you know, Wes, Woody, and I have all three seen Sasquatches up close, so and it, we know definitely it changes your outlook on the world. I got two questions for you, Steve. One is, how far was was our forested area close by the farm? And then the second question is, what do you think their intention was? What do you think the whole intent was of coming up to the house kind of messing with your little sister, coming up to your window. What do you think that, looking back, I mean, what do you think their intent was? Well, the first question, um, the area I live in, there's a lot of uh, lakes and river systems that interconnect and go good chunk across the state. There's a lot of cedar swamps, uh, and you'll crawl right out of these lowlands and right boundaries all around them. Then you'll have farms, um, orchards, uh, livestock, and back then even more so, there was a lot more people farming this area then. These areas all kind of interconnect in narrow bands, and that's where um, I've heard people say, you know, having weird things happen in, in these same areas where, where I've run into stuff, and I think it's basically, you know, they had really good... Uh, really good travel arrangements for, you know, you had creeks, rivers, and you got all these uh, 
old railroad grates that have all been abandoned. Even have a small gauge, narrow gauge railroad grades from the logging era that are still open. We, I get on those and I can walk for miles through cedar swamps and across state land and such. Then we have natural gas right of ways through here that, you know, you can get in them and just travel long distance. So I think they've got a, a pretty good area if they wanted to, to utilize it. Um, as far as the second question, you know, I, I'm not really sure what they wanted. Um, I, I always told myself that, you know, we had a lot of fruit trees, a lot of stuff in the garden going on. We had livestock and such. I figured they'd probably just coming up for food. But, you know, this thing, if it, if it really wanted to hurt me, it, it could have. I mean, the only thing between it and me was a couple, about two, three feet and a screen on a window. But at the same time, I, I didn't feel he was friendly in any way, shape, or form. He let me know he was boss. I'm looking in the window, and my mother, she she still swears it was a dangerous situation. You know, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they wanted to take my little sister for whatever their reasonings, whether it be to maybe they're attracted to kids or maybe they wanted to eat one. You never know. But let me ask you, what but it, gave you the impression that it was, um, as you described, boss or um, a threatening situation? Did it do something, or was it its body posture, or... What do you think made you think that? When I jumped up out of bed, I hadn't made it I hadn't made it ten feet and this thing let out that roar directed right at me through that window. I ran the fastest I've ever moved in my life. It was probably twenty five feet from my bed to the doorway at my mother's room and just a few seconds passed and I was gonna go out that front door to let the dog loose. This thing was already there waiting for me and roaring again. He knew where I went. I think he had a pretty good idea what I was doing. Oh, so it ran around the house to the other side to where you were to where you were headed. It didn't just stay there, it actually ran yeah. around to where Oh, I gotcha. Wow. That's yeah. that's the part that really spooked me. It because my bedroom was pointing towards the west. It was at a west window. And it had to run all the way around to the far south end of the house and meet me. And it did it pretty quick. You know, in terms of primates, anthropologists call that a display, and it and it often is a, uh, a threatening or challenging type behavior. You know, it might have just been bluffing or buffaloing me to to keep me in place. Maybe it had its family out in my out in our yard eating apples or something, and was just trying to cover for them. Even I, I don't know. It definitely didn't seem friendly. And that's very um, similar. I don't know if you heard last week's show, but. Uh, you know, Mike in Oklahoma was talking about when, you know, the creatures would come up to his home and look in the windows and, and race around, you know, from one side of the house to the other, just exactly like what you described. Yeah, it was like they're playing with you. You know, they're a step ahead of you on that. You know, these days, I, I probably wouldn't fall for it as easy, but, you know, when you're not expecting something like that, boy, he was a step ahead of me, knew right where to go. Steve, you said it were, like was it like a lion's roar or was it just like a large growl or what kind of a noise? Well, you know, go ahead. I had talked to a guy from BFRO a couple years or a few years back. He he kept having in his head that it, that it made a howl and then a, a high pitched sound like a howler monkey. He kept saying, and this thing to me, oh boy, it wasn't the the sound of a lion. It had that kind of impact. The sound was actually a bit closer to what you'd hear on movies like Jurassic Park. It was just like a, you know, I, I can't even copy it. It's just extremely deep and piercing, and then it went up for a, a ways and then real high, high pitch. I mean, at the end, it almost sounded like a wildcat screaming. I, I think you know? have some recordings like that. But uh, and I probably shouldn't say this, but you know, a lot of the folks in the BFRO really don't know what they're talking about. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they usually start out very deep, and it'll ramp up to a high-pitched scream. I got one for you guys. I'll play. Um, I was going to play this later and talk about it. I'll explain the audio file, but let me play this real quick for you, Steed.
that first part was awful, awful close, and then it transitioned into a real high-pitched scree- scream or screech, uh, similar to the second part, but a lot, even higher pitched than that. Yeah, those were actually taken from Michigan. That's crazy. I was just kind of curious. I was going to talk about that later in the show, but um, I wanted to play it, play it to see what you thought. The first part is as close as I've heard anything to the the roar it gave. I'm almost like an air raid siren for volume. Yeah, and that's how they, a lot of people describe it, like a siren. You had mentioned one time that you felt like you were being hunted by them. That actually was scarier than the sighting. Um, I went out, I was in my early 20s, and I uh, there's this one section along the river. I had another occurrence within a half mile of this place, but I chalked it up to, you know, just, you know, nothing, and I get over it and braving up and hunt that area again. And I decided to do some squirrel hunting in this river bottom. I went out there alone. I just took my 22 mag with me and figured I'd go pop a few squirrels for the pot. And I got into the woods there, and as I worked along, I started coming up along this L-shaped ridge. And that, that chunk of woods, is it's kind of dark. It's not a cedar swamp but it it's kind of reminds you of that atmosphere for how dark it is. As I got in there, I found this spot on a on the ridge that looked like a real good place for, you know, ambushing squirrels as they moved along from tree to tree. And I noticed it was just dead quiet. There not not even a cricket or a, a tweety bird or nothing in there. I felt kind of odd, but I just, you know, chalked it up to jitters and tried to pay no attention. The longer I sat there, the more I kept getting this feeling of being watched. And I would look over the area that I could see, and I'd think every now and then I thought I'd caught a glimpse, but it'd just be a dark shadow, real quick move. And it seemed like I was getting this from two directions. And I never heard nothing, and I never really saw anything solid, but I'd keep catching movement. And I kept getting this feeling worse and worse that I was in danger. The movement I was catching was like it was trying to work around behind me on one side, yet out in front of me on the other. And it may sound crazy, but it was like I had this voice in my head telling me, get out, you're being hunted. You know, not like a literal voice, but, you know, that nagging little feeling you get telling you right. there's trouble. And it just kept getting worse and worse until... At first, I was telling myself I was just being afraid of the dark type deal. And finally, it was like it was screaming in my head, you know, this is it, get out of here. And I literally backed my way out of that situation for over 300 yards before I would turn my back to it. And then I hobbled my way right out to my truck and got in it. And I have never stepped foot in that section of woods since. They have a way of surrounding you and they have a way of... of, um... You know, I know that voice in your head that's like, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here, you know. It's kind of like that, I think it's that fight or flight feeling that we were talking about last week. I think, we, exactly you know, it. when you get that, it's a good, it's good to stop and listen to, listen to yourself, you know what I mean? It's You're probably right on on, on your feelings. Well, How far away was the movement from you? It was under 100 yards when I left. It started out, it was probably about... Probably 175 yards is the farthest you could catch any kind of movement through the leaves in there, and which made it real good for squirrel because they couldn't see you until they were fairly close, and ground level was fairly open. I kept catching glimpses of movement, and I, that, like I said, that feeling kept getting worse, and, and the movement kept spreading out like it was a tactic like you'd use to divert attention. Like when we were squirrel hunting as kids, we'd one guy would walk around the back side of the tree to scare the squirrel around to the front where the guy had the gun. And that's what I felt like is like I was getting uh, getting maneuvered around. Like I said, there was another thing that happened in that area years before that had unnerved a, a few of us pretty good. It was only a half mile away from there. Some friends and I had decided to go out to this uh little chunk on the river that was kind of a high sandy bank and we were going to have a bonfire at night there was like seven or eight of us had all gone out there and it was uh it was pitch black you could barely see your hand in front of your face we were up on top of that 
ridge and uh, trying to get find some wood and get a little fire started. A couple of the guys were off to the side, and we could hear something on the other side of the river down in the brush moving around, and there was used to be berries down there. I don't know if there still are, but I kept telling them, you know, because they were saying about it, and we saw it's probably just a deer. And they grabbed some rocks that they were found along the edge of the river, and they started throwing them over there. And one of them rocks hit something with a loud, hollow thud. I mean, it just thwack. And that's when all hell broke loose. And something come charging across that river and up that bank. And it was big, whatever it was. You couldn't see it, but you could hear it. And, and it was coming up through that river. It was going like that. Everybody scattered. Um, there was this one girl that was about eight months pregnant was with us, and she was screaming, stop, I'm pregnant. Everybody else had left her. A guy named Rich and I grabbed each one of uh, each one of us, grabbed one side. We had her lifted off the ground. We ran 200 yards carrying her back to my car. You, you can always outrun and, a uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yep. Every man for himself. Uh, what a... Whatever it was, it could have definitely had us. It, it stopped, but it, and when it stopped, it was must have been right on top of us. And that that was only a half mile away from the area where I felt like I was being hunted. So that's pretty pretty uh, spooky area in my book these days. And that's a pretty aggressive behavior. I mean, you know, being whether it's being hit with a rock or not, it, to come charging across the river and up the hill after you for doing that, especially when you have eight people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you, know, you do that to a barrel. I've barrel run into. Yeah, barrel. Yeah, run. that's what I was yeah, going to say. You hit it with a rock with a. You know, you throw a rock at a bear and it hits a bear. Barrel take off running. I mean, black bear will anyway. Right. Right. I, I've run into black bear out here. Usually, they don't want no party. They just want to get away. Yeah, they're pretty spooked by humans mostly. I don't know if I was hit with a rock, uh, eight people or not. I come charging after you too. <laughs> Damn, uh, my day is doing that. Or, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, you've had a ton of encounters, and it kind of sounds like, you know, they they may have been passing through your property at certain times of the year and showing, I would call it aggressive behavior. I know a lot of flute players out there will think it's they're just, you know, <laughs> they're wanting to see the kids and. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's animals. You know, they always go after the young and they always go after the old. You know, it's that that's the easy. Yeah, that's those the are the easy, easy uh, meal. Right. But uh, what do well, you, you know? Think I've Sasquatch is looking back. I mean, what do you think it is? I, I mean, it's something I'm always fascinated by. Answers. Well, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people have a lot of ideas. Um, some think it's a type of ape. Some think a type of human. I think it's its own kind of animal. Whatever it is, it's you know it's kind of like a platypus. There's a duck bill on it, but I don't think it's any type of duck. Um, I, I think it's its own type of creature, and it happens to be shaped like us quite a bit. Other than that, boy, I, I don't yeah, know. People people tend to make leaps, you know, in, in their um, ideas just based on appearance, and it doesn't. And you're right, it doesn't mean that that's what they are. You know, look at a fox and look at a wolf. They're both shaped they similar, but... Not the same thing at all. Yeah, right. And uh, these things, from the, the habits that I've seen, they've got different behavior than anything else I've run into. Right, and it's not friendly. No. No. In fact, that area where I had those two incidents, there's people around there, they, they don't like to talk about it, but they actually call it the corn man. They claim, you know, that it hangs around in the cornfields on the outside of that river, and they're kind of spooked about it. Years ago, before they coined the term Sasquatch or Bigfoot, in local areas, that's exactly what it was. People, just based on what was in the area, you know, they would name whatever creatures were around based on that. So that's very typical of, you know, what we've seen in the history of this. You know, and, I, and I've talked to some of the old-timers, and, this isn't something that's new. You know, a few handful of people will talk to you. You know, when you tell them what you've seen, if they're not picking on you, half the time they're telling you what they saw. You know, I've heard stories going back to the 50s. 
that really, you know, sound similar to some of the things I run into. Yeah, and you know, most areas are like that. If you if you can get the locals to talk, you know, you find that those stories go way way back. I where Wes and Woody live, I ex- worked that area back in the late '80s, early '90s, and found that locals they were stories all the way back to 1925 in that area. So it's that's really very true of all these places where legitimate encounters are happening. You know, these areas that around here where this stuff has happened that I've run into, they're all tied in with water. They're all tied in by waterways that interconnect. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I've always figured they got to be traveling by that or maybe by old railroad grades or whatnot because they're just not being spotted crossing the road. And all the hunting I've ever done in the winter, I've never seen a track, never once seen a track crossing the road. And I just didn't understand how they could how they could be in so many different areas and you not find a trace of them crossing. I, I, I can get in touch with Steve later and give him some uh, some pointers on where to look because I, I can some things I just don't want to put out in public yet. I, I know how they move and where they move and things like that. So I, I can show you that well, I'd, privately. I'd appreciate that. Not a problem. The only other question I had for you, Steve, did you – Living at that property or being out in that area, have you ever heard any other vocalizations? I know being out and being kind of keen and and being somewhat a woodsman, you you hear different sounds, so you know the different animals. But have you ever heard any odd sounds while you're out there? You know, on the farm, I never. Once in a while, you'd hear a weird howl or yell way off in the distance, but you know, you couldn't tell was that you know the neighbors cattle off a couple miles out or what just echoing funny and wasn't anything you could put a finger on but i have heard a couple things weird out in the woods uh since i've been older you know i heard i've heard knocks every now and then when i've come through a certain area and it won't be only just once in a while you'll hear a knock and then as you move along you'll hear another one somewhere off in the distance but the one that really had me scratching my head and kind of creeped me out was along one of these cedar swamps out back. I was uh, sitting up in a cedar tree, all camoed out. I heard what sounded like a family of people on a leisurely stroll talking to one another. And they were talking like they were separated by a little distance, kind of talking back and forth and just walking along. But you couldn't make out any of the words and I have never in my life seen anybody else out in that dense cedar swamp walking along, especially a family. Would you describe we're talking like a mile or like a language? You know, if you if you've ever heard people uh, like a family in the park a right. distance off to where you couldn't hear the words, it was more like they were talking, but you couldn't tell what they were saying. <clears throat> and it just struck me as funny. I mean, I can't say for sure it wasn't people out there, but. I mean, this is an area where if you took one wrong step, you're you're in moral, you know, you disappear. Right, right. I've heard that catches a lot of people's attention when they hear that. I've actually heard other people say that too, to where you you hear it sounds like your conversation, but you can't quite make out what is being said. I mean, it sounds like people talking, but it, it you can't make out any words. And I think the fact that you picked up on it, I've heard that so many times. I can't tell you. That uh, especially from hunters to where they they thought they heard something. It sounds like people talking, but they can't quite make out what's what's being said. Well, you know, if I'd have been on the edge of some field out in a woodlot and heard that, I'd never give it a second thought. But you know, I I used to love hunting the cedar swamps. I I'd go out there as deep as I could. I'd climb up in a tree and I'd just become the tree and just sit there for hours. I couldn't tell you how many thousands of hours I spent in the woods doing that kind of stuff. It was just so odd. It seemed so out of place. I just couldn't put a finger on to what to make of it. I've only seen like uh, the, the creature once, and I've had these weird run-ins, and I can't prove anything, but uh, this is what my best educated guess is on most of it. Yeah, no, and I really appreciate you sharing it. Well, thank you, and I, I appreciate you guys' show. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of common sense stuff. I've had people tell me, you know, that these things are just, you know, friendly, gentle, forest hippies and all this. And I'm not buying it. I feel great for people. Let's have Wes explain so, the flute player. He mentioned made that comment, so you got to tell everybody what the flute player is, Wes. <laughs> oh, the, 
the fun-loving uh, hippie flute player? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, I got I got one question before you go. Based on what you know now and the things that you you have experienced, what advice would you give to people if they run into a Sasquatch? From what I've dealt with, I'd say just try to, you know, don't run. That'd be the first thing I'd say. I would never run, but I'll, I'll back out of there. I'd be careful. I'd watch for signs not to be led into a trap. You know, I mean, I don't think that something's going to happen often, but I think it could. And it does happen. Um, I just try to, yeah, you know, I, I would just try to real calmly and nonchalantly act like you're not really aware of anything. Just try to move out of there cautiously, not really paying much mind. I think I have I a feeling you pay that. too much attention. You draw people's attention or critters' attention, and it makes them more aggressive. And, Will, I think you probably but agree I, with that. I mean, I've, I've heard you say that several times. That right. Like and and it kind of depends, you know, if it's, if it's a direct contact. Well, of course, the first time I, I ran into two of them, I was just like Steve. I was, you know, 15 feet away from two of them. Only only had a 22 rifle in my hands. And, you know, after a short time, I got the hell out of there. But I tell people, if you have that type of encounter, treat it like you would a bear encounter. I think that's probably the best advice I could give anybody. You don't mess with them back out of there, get away from them. Uh, if it's a peripheral type encounter where there's, uh, like in the situation where you felt like you were being hunted, you can ignore it. Just pretend they're not there and get out of the area. You know, if you if you pay attention, um, and he's correct, uh, like with the hunter that I mentioned before in a previous show who told me he was up deer hunting, uh, saw one of these things, and it, and it kept looking back, and it walked slowly like it wanted him to follow it, which he did, and then after a while, he, you know, he kept turning back looking, and he spotted another one up trying to hide behind a log, so he knew he was being led into a trap. Pretend they're not there. Pretend you don't see anything, and back away from the area. You you wouldn't you wouldn't shoot and let God figure it out, let God sort it out. Would I? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, these days I might, you know. Um, I wouldn't want to shoot anything unless the situation came up because. From what I can tell, I don't think these things, you know, from what I've seen and known and heard and read, I don't think they're alone. I don't think they travel alone much. Yeah, and I, I would not right. want to press my luck trying to take more than one on. One would yeah. be bad enough. Yeah, you take one out, you're going to have his pals coming around. No, you're right. I think you're right. I think, one, you think you're, you're in trouble most of the time. One thing I learned hunting a long time back is, you know, you watch the guys that go in there, and they're just trying to stalk every step in there and, you know, be as stealthy like little store-bought camouflage ninjas. <laughs> and every critter in the forest spots them before they get halfway to their spot, and they're gone. They know the game. Absolutely. If you stroll through like you like nothing's going on and you don't pay attention, you'd be amazed how close you can get to critters and how much they won't pay attention to you. They yep, won't feel you're true. a threat. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, we appreciate it, Steve. We appreciate you coming on very much. I appreciate you sharing your encounter. Well, thank you. It's it's nice to be able to talk to people and not worry about, uh, you know, being labeled a town kook and stuff. No, I mean, well, you know, the ones who say things like that have never seen anything and they have no idea what they're talking about. Well, hey, I I saw it and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> well, <none laughs> for a long time, I still, you know, none of us could. You know, you you all of us have grown up not being taught anything about stuff like this. I, I'd never heard the word Bigfoot or Sasquatch until I, you know, found tracks the first time when I was 14. And the only thing that bothered us about it was we found where they had put some uh, animal intestines in the snow, and it was about 17 degrees, and, and we saw these tracks, and I said, crap, these tracks, are the, the guts aren't frozen yet. Whatever did this is really close by, so we took off running. You know, a friend's dad told us what he knew, and this, you know, there wasn't a whole lot out yet at that time. And then we kind of forgot. A couple of years later, I ran into two of them. So uh, very traumatic. It's a mind-altering, your worldview-altering experience. Yeah, and especially yeah, after and encounter, you read up on all these other crazy encounters where people have all these crazy interdimensional and all that, and then you feel like, well, I don't really want to come forward with this because I don't really want to be a part of that, you know, because it's not really what I went through. What I went through was... Well, you know, and, and you just don't know what what to expect when that happens either. 
you don't know what the intentions are, what the ground rules are, or nothing. And uh, that right there is scary enough as it is. Yeah, because we don't and have any for that anyway. Right. And I approach animals the way I approach humans. I've heard people, one of my pet peeves is people saying, oh, an animal won't attack without any reason. Well, yeah, they will. you know, there's <laughs> there's people out there that uh, go around killing each other for no reason. And the animals yeah. are just the same as people. you got good ones, you got crazy ones, you got some that can have a bad day and snap, you know. Absolutely. You just correct. never know. Even if they're not That's fed well point. that morning, is going to change how their outlook is going to be. Right. So, yeah, I, I appreciate talking with you guys. It, it's been enjoyable. Yeah, well, I'm glad. Well, let's but, get in touch sometime, and I'll, I'll share some information with you. It might help you out a little bit. Yeah, I'd like that if you could. Um, there's you a few questions that I have in the back of my mind on stuff like that. Not a, not a problem. Not a problem. And thanks for listening, Steve. Appreciate it. Hey, I look forward to your show every week. I uh, appreciate that very much. And we sure do. All right. Well, okay, we'll well, thanks a lot, guys. Oh, you're welcome, Steve. Th- Steve, thank- thanks so much for coming on. Interesting account. I, You know, very believable, very typical of a lot of things I've heard before. Yeah, it makes you wonder why it was coming up to, yeah. his, to the window, then to the kid, his little sister's window. I mean, that stuff's well, creepy, you know, I think. It's like all these stories, you know, like the cowman story and, and so many others that are very, very similar. I mean, you, you, you listen to these and you read these different accounts, and there are particular elements that are almost identical. You know, I almost think it's sort of, the, you know, the beginning, maybe they have some intention coming up to the house, and as things go along, I mean, for whatever reason, either they keep coming around, like in Mike's case in Oklahoma, and those things escalate, or, you know, maybe because they went out and sort of, you know, stood up to the challenge, the creature challenged them, they kind of, even if just going out there standing there is sort of a, it's not a backing down stance. So maybe that was enough to make the creature go away and not escalate. I mean, who knows? No, I was going to say, I like the part, too, where it was a legitimate story, and also his opinion about the creature was, you know, he he did fear it. It wasn't uh, it wasn't like he was going to go out and play the flute for it, like Wes was saying earlier. That's pretty typical with a lot of the stories we've been hearing lately, and I, I think those are, that's pretty a pretty accurate uh, assumption of uh, what the, how the creature is and how it reacts. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a really good story. Yeah, I, I've never had interviewed a witness who felt like, you know, what I thought was a legitimate encounter said that they felt that there was any any form of, you know, friendly environment. It's always been one of, and never even indifference. It was either, uh, of course, shock initially, like all of us have experienced, and then either the creature left or they left, or it it was some form of aggressive kind of thing that has never been. Well, except for the people that have the gifting bowl and leave the cookies. <laughs> I, <laughs> You know, funny. Renee sent me on. Uh, Renee DeHinden sent me on a um, report one time in the Columbia River Gorge. So I took a few people who were working with me in the field at the time. I went to the house, and the lady of the house, you know, we, we introduced ourselves, and um, she started telling us about this encounter they supposedly had the day or two before. They were having a graduation party for her son and, and a bunch of the kids from the local high school. This is down on the Columbia River, so. Uh, as she went along, she sat down in this apple tree, and she was describing these footprints. And, of course, the footprints to her were three feet long. The toes were basketball size. And she says, you know, if you if you look up into the sky and, you know, the tracks just appear before you. And apparently I was turning beet red because my friends escorted me away over to the teenagers. <laughs> and they kept talking to her, and I knew she was a complete nut job. And it was the, the teenagers who actually had the encounter. And they said several of them had separated from the rest of the party to just to go and talk quietly at the edge of the light near an orchard. And this thing had approached them, scared the living hell out of them, and had gone on its way down to the river. But, you know, so sometimes, you know, there is a kernel uh, of truth in some stories, but, you know, you have to interview the right people in those circumstances. I know we're almost out of time. I wanted to, I got an encounter for you guys, and I know that both of you have heard it before. It's from Alaska. It's one I wanted to queue up, I think, a few shows ago, and I, I really didn't get a chance to. And I wanted Steed to take as much time as he wanted to share his encounter with us. I'll go ahead and play this encounter for you guys, and then we'll close it out. We end up spending a lot of time out in the wilderness. He hunts nearby Prince of Wales Island. 100,000 acres of 
dense rainforest. The island of Prince Wales is important to me because I've been hunting there all my life with my family, so I know the country. I've been up to the mountaintops and down in the valleys. With the Alaska winter closing in, Woody takes his last hunting trip of the year to the island. sister hunting over on Prince of Wales. We're over there for a week. It was raining and blowing one evening. We're going to camp up on this mountain ridge, but the weather was just too nasty. We couldn't even get a fire going. So we drove down to uh, Eagle's Nest. It was already closed for the winter. There was no one there. We pulled into this campsite. We drove in by the bridge apart there and tilted the seats back and tried to sleep the best we could. Woody settles for the night, but senses that something isn't right. We couldn't shake this feeling of being watched. The rain stops. Woody's sixth sense as a hunter is alert. Just really quiet, too quiet. No animal life, no bird activity. me in the chest to fear, see something that big, that close, he was powerful, he had big shoulders on him. If he wanted to, I think he could have reached through that window and grabbed us and hurt us severely. But he didn't. It was one of those fight or flight kind of fear, you know, if you can get away, get away. If you can't, then you know you're going to have to fight for your life. That's how bad it was. I sat up, I hollered. The menacing beast disappears. An experienced hunter, Woody knows it's a Sasquatch. I'm out in the woods so much that I know what I saw. You know, it was mind changing, changed my life. There's something out there that. I don't know what it is. It's not human. It's not an ape. I was actually going to play that next week, but after hearing Steve's encounter, it had a lot of similarities after hearing him talk and listening to this guy describe his encounter and describe what he saw and kind of the whole experience. You know, that if, you know, they really should look into that whole fight or flight feeling that people get. Yeah, that's one of the things I've been working on is, um, uh, in fact, just recently discussing that with a, a professional, different psychological aspects and things I'm going to be discussing in the next book. Fight or flight mechanism is a very strong one in us, in most animals, actually. We have had contact. Our ancestors, you know, ancient people had a lot of contact with these creatures. You know, I'm sure that a lot of that, when we sense those things, like when Steve mentioned he felt uh, he was being hunted, you know, that I'm sure there's probably some instincts in us from conflicts with these things many, many generations ago that are still very active in us, and, and these things get triggered when we're out there and encounter these things. Yeah, I mean, it's just a real unique sense that you feel when it happens to you. And, you know, it's not like a little kid being scared in the night. I mean, it's something to where when it happens, like I was telling Steve, you almost kind of have to stop and listen to that, listen to that feeling like when he was out in the woods and he had that feeling like he was just being surrounded, he, he saw kind of movement. It's just really interesting. You know, it's a, it's a real interesting psychological thing that I think should be studied more. Yeah, and it's, there's a reason that we have that gut reaction. If we listen to that, usually it's correct. Yeah, I think it's a safety mechanism that's built in us. Yeah, you know, right. You know, animals have it, we have it. I think a lot of times it may save our life, you know. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the reason we have that. You know, the animals that are usually the most wary and pay attention to that are the ones that live the longest. That's true. Well, that's pretty much all I had for you guys. I, I didn't know how long Steve would go for. Well, you know, in talking to uh, to hunters and, and loggers over the years, I wanted to make an appeal out there to our listeners who um, uh, have been loggers or, or worked with loggers and or hunters. Contact us with their accounts if they have them. We'd like to talk about those with you. 
and I, I've known from interviewing hunters and loggers over the years, they are very reticent about talking about their accounts. But uh, we'd sure like to hear from you and uh, discuss your accounts on the air. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hit us up on uh, Facebook. Hit Will up on Yahoo. And I think that's it, fellas. Until next week.